be seated. Amen. It's good to see everybody in the house of God tonight. Amen. You could have stayed home or done something else, but you came to the house of God. You know that pastor is out, but you still came anyways. There are some people when they, when they hear that the pastor will not be there, neither are they. They check out. If you're watching online, I'm talking to you. But uh, speaking of pastor, he, he is in Nashville, excuse me, Nashville, Tennessee. He'll be leaving tomorrow morning around 6 or 7 a.m. Uh, to, to fly out to Haiti. So he's going to have a, a busy, you know, he has to be at the airport by 4, so that means he has to wake up by 3. So he's going to be, uh, you know, busy, busy, busy and doing his thing. So be sure to keep him in your prayers. He's going to be in Haiti for the next week and a half. Five days, just kidding. Five days. Sorry, Sister Kat. It's going to be in 85 days. But still, let's keep him in our prayers that God's protection will be upon him and that his will will be done through Pastor while he's over there and that he can have an effect um, in Haiti while he's in Haiti. Amen? Amen. Amen. So tonight we're going to talk about the eighth habit. So we're doing the ten habits of highly healthy homes. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about habit number eight, which is maintain your integrity. Maintain your integrity. Um, at any point, if I'm going too fast, I know you're filling in your blanks, just let me know, raise your hand or wink at me or something, and um, I'll repeat myself. So just give me a heads up. Give me that's right, Archie, just like that. Just give me a heads up. All right, so habit number eight, maintain your integrity. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15 in the New Living Translation says, do not steal. Do not steal. I know a lot of times when we hear that verse, we automatically think of taking something that's, that can be touched, something that's physical, taking it from somebody without them knowing it. And a lot of times we, we refer to stealing to that, but it's a lot deeper than that, and we will find that out here tonight. Um, hopefully some toes will be stepped on, and uh, you'll feel convicted. If you're doing any of these things, and you will get better. Amen? That's the whole point of this. All right. Story here. When Pastor Joe Wright was asked to open the new session of the Kansas Senate, everyone was expecting the usual, usual politically correct generalities. But on January 23, 1996, when they heard in, what they heard instead was a stirring prayer, passionately calling the United States to repentance and righteousness. The response was immediate with a number of legislators walking out during prayer. Representative Delbert Gross, or Gross described the prayer as decisive, sanctimonious, self-serving, and overbearing. Representative David Haley railed, I take personal umbrage to the prayer we had to suffer through this morning. We've got to respect one another. His prejudice and his uh, perversion can be practiced in his own church, maybe where they are worshiping snakes. Clearly, these representatives felt uncomfortable in the presence of absolute truth. In six short weeks after that prayer, Central Christian Church logged more than 5,000 phone calls with only 47 negative responses. Radio commentator Paul Harvey aired the prayer on his program and received his largest ever audience response. Just what was in Pastor Wright's prayer that, was, that so polarized people in Kansas? 
simply a passionate call for a return to the biblical values that we have been teaching from the Ten Commandments. So here's the prayer that he prayed. Heavenly Father, we come before you today to ask for your forgiveness and seek your direction and guidance. We know your word says, woe to those who call evil good, but that's exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium and inverted our values. We confess that we have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshiped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have endorsed perversion and called it an alternative lifestyle. We have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have neglected the needy and called it self-preservation. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed our unborn and called it choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it political savvy. We have coveted our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. <laughs> we have polluted the air with profanity and pornography and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, O God, and know our hearts today. Try us and see if there be some wicked way in us. Cleanse us from every sin and set us free. Guide and bless these men and women who have been sent here by the people of Kansas and who have been ordained by you to govern this great state. Grant them with your wisdom to rule, and may their decisions direct us to the center of your will. I ask it in the name of your Son, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So you can see why a lot of those politicians didn't like that. They didn't like that prayer or walked out on that prayer. The Ten Commandments are offensive. They're offensive to our tolerant society simply because they are so absolute. That is the nature of a command. They get down to where the rubber meets the road and cut to the heart of the matter. To put it plainly, they convict us. They convict us. And because the world is so anti-Bible, they don't like to hear this stuff. They get all bent out of shape when you start talking about the absolute truth, right? Whether you believe this book or not, it's truth. <laughs> Just because you don't believe it or you try to bend it in a way to where you don't feel so uncomfortable, that doesn't mean that your way is right. It's not. You're wrong. <laughs> Amen? The Bible is right. So, the Eighth Commandment tells us, tells each of us, Maintain your integrity, even though society often tells us the exact opposite. The Eighth Commandment tells us to maintain your integrity, even though society often tells us the exact opposite. Stealing is epidemic in modern life. And just as we discovered that there is more than one way to murder a man, there is also more than one way to steal from a man. Can I get an amen? Rogers Thesaurus rec records more than 125 synonyms for the word stealing, and the criminal code contains a multiplicity of terms that attempt to define the many shades of theft. And here's, here are some of the synonyms for the word stealing. Burglary, robbery, larceny, hijacking, shoplifting, pickpocketing, purse snatching, embezzlement, extortion, racketeering, and a host of others. How many of those we got in the house tonight? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. 
<laughs> we almost had an anniversary. <laughs> Most of the justification for stealing comes from the egotistical notion that other people exist only to serve my wants or as an opportunity for my gain. You ever met any of those type of people that have that mindset? That is why many people find it easy to rationalize the wrong that they are doing. So ask yourself these questions. Or are these some of the questions that you know, those uh, people that have that mindset ask themselves? But ask yourself these questions right here. Is it really stealing if it's from a company or a government instead of people? Is it really stealing if it's from your, your place of work instead of people? Is it really stealing if they wouldn't really notice it's gone because they have so much? I won't take so much to where they're, they're going to notice it, but I, ain't gonna, <laughs> I am going to take some. Is that stealing? Is it really stealing if it's, not, if it's just not fair that I don't have what so many other people have? I'm just trying to be like everybody else. That's why I'm taking is that stealing? Or is it really stealing if I mean to give it back eventually before they notice or need it? Is that really stealing? Yes. And the Eighth Commandment says so. It is stealing. It is stealing. You know, I was reading, I was, I was, uh, reading through this, and I felt, Kind of, uh, I felt convicted at times because there's been times where I borrowed things from people. Not that I took it without them knowing, but I borrowed it, right? I borrowed the things from people, and I never gave it back. <laughs> Is that stealing? <laughs> or, or when I did give it back, it was many years later. I just happened to overhear, man, where, where did that thing? Ooh, <laughs> Check my trunk. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> So yeah, I've, um, and, and you know, Pastor used to let me borrow a lot of books and, and, and DVDs, preaching DVDs and stuff, and I think I still have some of those. But um, I was going to bring one and give it back, give it back to you in front of all of you, but I got off work late, couldn't do it, so. <laughs> Sunday. All right, moving on. So the Hebrew phrase, and don't quote me on this, Lotagonoff. Lotaganoff in the Eighth Commandment means that we are not to take by stealth or to carry away secretly. In other words, it refers to an action that is kept hidden from the owner of what, whatever is being taken because they would not permit it if they knew about it. You can, you can, you know, you can take this little simple test the next time you're going to do, like, take part of an action. If I, don't want, if, I don't know, if I don't want nobody to know about it, should I do it? No, probably not. If you're trying to hide, where's the teenage? Oh, they're, uh, they're gone. Parents, tell your, tell your kids, tell your teenagers this, even your, even your little ones. If, if they have to wait till everybody's gone in order to do something, that's probably a wrong action that they're about to do. Whether it's stealing or something else, it's probably something that they shouldn't be partaking in because they want to do it. And not just kids, but adults as well, you know, because some things, you know, some things never really leave us, even though we grow up and, and get older and start paying bills and stuff like that and get married, have kids. If it's, if it's an action that you wouldn't want to do in front of nobody, like if you're trying to wait till everybody's gone before you do it, you probably shouldn't do it. You probably shouldn't do it. 
Um, we'll talk about this later, but we should be more concerned about what God sees us doing rather than other people. <laughs> right? I think sometimes we're more concerned about what people are going to say about us or think about us more than what Jesus Christ says or thinks about us. So that, that, we need to flip the script a little bit there. All right, so let's talk about acquiring things the right way, acquiring things by the book. So while the Bible forbids stealing, which is illegitimate acquisition of possessions, it also and even, it allows and even encourages us to acquire possessions in legitimate ways, legitimate ways. And there's three ways here that I'm going to share with you. The first way, the first way, diligent labor. Diligent labor, consistent hard work each and every day. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.28 in the CEB version, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Be honest and work hard so you will have something to give to people in need. Be honest and work hard so you'll have something to give to people in need. Don't steal. Don't cut corners, but be, be honest in the hard work that you're doing. And you're going to get there. We, we kind of talked about this uh, in, in Louisville on Sunday, but it's, it takes consistent action in order to get what you want. You can't just do, like, if you want to lose weight. You can't just run on the treadmill one day and expect to lose however many pounds you're trying to lose. It is not going to happen. You're going to be disappointed, and you're going to end up quitting. I mean, there's been people in here that probably has been there. Or, not, you know, you probably didn't expect to lose, you know, 20 pounds after one run. But, you know, you, you're not really seeing the results fast enough. I mean, if you did, you know, that's on you. We're going to pray for you. But you didn't see the results fast enough, so you quit. You, may, you gave yourself some excuse. Oh, I can't make it today. I got I to gotta, uh, finally, you know, do the laundry. Or I got to do this or that. And so you can't go to the gym. And all of a sudden, it's it's... You ain't even thinking about the gym no more, you know, because you, because you, you, know, because you didn't see the results fast enough. But it takes consistent action, consistent, the, the right consistent action in order to get, you know, where you want to be at. Um, number two, wise investing or bargaining. Wise investing or bargaining. Matthew 25, 29 in the New Living Translation says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who are unfaithful, even what little they have will be taken away. There's so many people complaining that they don't have enough. What are you doing with what you have? Simple concept. What are you doing with what you have? Are you, are you properly using what you, what, what's been given to you? If you're not, don't expect more. Why would somebody give somebody more if they're not properly using what they're already using. You're going to give somebody more. It's kind of like work. If you're doing your job and you're, you know, you're doing great, you're probably going to get a promotion. They're not going to give a promotion to somebody who's not doing great at their job or who doesn't care. Amen? And then number three, faithful prayer. Faithful prayer. When people have no opportunity to work or barter and every avenue of provision seems closed, that's when prayer comes in. That's when prayer comes in. And remember this, God will not meet needs that we should be meeting. God will not meet needs that we should be meeting. 
That's, that's to me, that kind of sounds like there's a bit of laziness in there. God will not reward laziness. If there's something that we should be doing or that we should be taking care of, then we need to be doing it. We don't need to pray to God that he'll do it for us. No, we can pray that he'll give us the strength, right, to do that thing that we should be doing. But we should be praying to God if, if, if it's something that we have, you know, we have no control over. Only God can do, can do that particular thing. Faithful prayer, what does that mean? Consistent prayer. Not just one time and oh, you didn't mean it, oh, moving on. No, consistent prayer, prayer, prayer. Keep praying for it. Matthew 6, uh, verses 32 and 33 in the, in the New Living Translation, it says, Why be like the pagans who are so deeply concerned about things, these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your wants. Needs, yes, needs. And he will give you all your need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. And there are three things we need to remember when praying that God will give something to us. Number one, there is, no, there is more to life than stuff. There's more to life than possessions. Man, it's nice to have stuff. It's nice to have nice stuff, right? It feels good. It's, it's just nice, especially when you first get it. That's like the best time to, you know, have something because, man, it's brand new and it's, you know, it's in great condition, you know, you know, whatever it is. But there's more to life than that stuff. And a lot of people just pray for stuff. God, give me this. God, give me that. God, give me this. You know, there's people that don't have anything. They're perfectly happy. Uh, Possession-wise, they don't really have anything, but they're perfectly happy because they have God. <laughs> so you don't need stuff in order to, you know, get to where you want to go. You don't. It's, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's just not true. Matthew 16, 26, and the NLT says, And how do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in the process? How will you benefit? Is anything worth more than your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The second thing that we need to remember when praying that God will give something to us, we must pray with the right motives. We must pray with the right motives. There's been people that's prayed, God, give me a million dollars, and I'm going to bless, you know, all these people. I'm going to bless the church. I'm going to bless the kingdom. No, no you won't. <laughs> you think you will. And look, you ain't, you're not going to fool God. God knows. You, you're not going to manipulate God into giving you something that you don't need because you won't handle it responsibly, <laughs> right? I mean, if you were, he would give it to you. And maybe some of you that have prayed for it, or some people that have prayed for it, maybe they will get a million dollars one day. It just hasn't happened yet. But what would probably happen is you get that money, and then everything that you said you were going to do, you, you don't. You know, you do all kinds of other stuff with it. So we must pray with the right motives. James 4, chapter 4, verse 3, it says, and, and even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You, only, you want only what will give you pleasure. You want only what will give you pleasure. And then the last thing here, we must store up treasures in heaven as well as on earth. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says, in the NLT says, don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven 
where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty, and where they will be safe from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there, where your, there your heart and thoughts will also be. And in Luke 12, 21, in that same version, it says this, Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. We store up treasures in heaven each time we use the resources God has given us here to accomplish his will on the earth. Notice I said his will and not our own will. What did, what did um, uh, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, it says that Jesus came to this earth with what? No reputation. No reputation. It wasn't about him. It was about God. It was about his will. It wasn't about his will. It was about his will. I, we can talk about that later on. I ain't going to confuse nobody. <laughs> but we should be the same way, right? It's not about our reputation. It's not about what, what people think of us. But it's about his will. And we should be reflecting. We should be doing what he wants us to do for him. Amen? So labor and bargaining and even prayer are legitimate ways to acquire possessions. But before we look at the legitimate acquisition of possessions, or I'm sorry, before we look at the illegitimate acquisition of possessions, which is stealing, let's discover the biblical penalty for stealing, for such activity. So the biblical punishment for stealing, this was the biblical punishment for stealing. Exodus chapter 22 Verses 3 and 4. If a thief is captured, he must make full restitution. If he can't, then he must be sold as a slave for his debt. If he is caught in the act of stealing a live, if he is caught in the act of stealing a live ox or donkey or sheep or whatever it is, he shall pay double value as his fine. So that was the biblical punishment for stealing back then. So what a finishing, I'm sorry, what a fitting punishment for the, for the Bible demands. Justice in its purest sense, if you steal $20 from me, you must pay me back 20 plus another 20. Yeah, go ahead and steal from me. <laughs> I'm going to be good. <laughs> go ahead. I'm going to leave it out. <laughs> Turn my camera on. That which you wish to take from me is taken from you. The Bible compensates the victim for the emotional violation that took place and makes the thief feel the exact loss he wanted to perpetrate. So the thief is taken from you. If I stole from Ben, I would have to pay back double. So now I'm losing more than what I started with, right? It's not wise. It's not wise. Could you imagine the drop in our crime rate if every thief was required to give double Restitution to their victims. For, for example, you're still in a car, you have to give them two cars. Give back the car, you know, give back the car plus their car. Unfortunately, our justice system generally punishes the perpetrator only for their actions against society while not demanding restitution to the individual. Um, you know, I thought about this and I, was, I, I thought to myself, would the, would the perpetrator even be able to give double? <laughs> they might not have nothing to begin with. But eventually they, you know, they would be. Anyway, that would take some work. That would take some deep thought, and we can figure it out. But what if you steal something and then turn yourself in? 
In this case, the Bible demands a diminished penalty for owning up to it, thus providing incentive and opportunity for the thief to change his life. It is hoped that the admission of guilt may be the first step of genuine repentance. Thus, if a thief turns himself in, he is only fined a 20% penalty in addition to the return of the item instead of a 100% penalty. 20% instead of 100%. Wouldn't it be good if every thief that stole something would turn themselves in? The penalty, yeah, the justice system isn't perfect, but maybe the penalty wouldn't be as bad as if they had to go and arrest them or, or if they were caught before, you know, uh, um, before they even had a chance to turn themselves in. Numbers chapter 5, verse 6 through 7, it says, If any of you commit a crime against someone, you have sinned against me. You must confess your guilt and pay the victim in full for whatever damage has been done, plus, plus a fine of 20%. So, moving right along here, there are, there are eight ways that we can steal. Eight ways. The first way, deceiving customers. Deceiving customers. Amos chapter 8, verse 5, you overcharge, use false measures, and fix the scales to cheat the customers. Overcharge, use false measures, and fix the scales to cheat the customers. Man, in the, in the moment, it feels like you're getting ahead. Yeah, I got this. I, I did this because, you know, I'm in sales, and, and we have the uh, ability to make the prices whatever we want. We have set prices, but we can make the prices whatever we want. And so some people will, will upcharge them and charge them a lot more than what than what was already set. And so they get these big deals and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, we get, you know, I made this big deal. But it's not the ethical, it's not the right practice, it's not the ethical practice. They're not looking far ahead into the future. You can't look at the now, but you gotta look at the future. The 3,000-year-old problem sounds pretty current. When a mechanic or a repairman, I'm connecting with some people now, <laughs> makes unnecessary repairs, when a salesman skips over the fine print, or when you sell a car or a house without disclosing its problems, the Bible calls that stealing. Man, that's why sales, salesmen, um, especially car salesmen, they're not really trusted. They're not really trusted. They have such a bad rap because all the swooning they've, they, or, or, you know, it, it may not be all salesmen or car salesmen, but some of them just gave them all a bad name, right? Somebody comes to church and then they have a bad experience, and I ain't never going to church again because that one church, it's just one church. It's an isolated event, right? It's not every church. So, but one of the most creative ways to deceive customers is found every week in the real estate section of the newspaper. So, I'm going to give you this tip. If you're ever looking for a house, remember these uh, tips right here. Ready? Here we go. Here's a guide to familiar real estate and phrases. I'm sorry. Here's a guide to familiar real estate ad phrases. And this is what it says, but this is what it really means. So, when you hear the word, a starter home. Start a home. That really means one bedroom and no bathroom. <laughs> That's a start a home. Here we go. When they say this home is a real challenge, this is what that means. It was once hit by an atom bomb. <laughs> this house is a fixer-upper. What are they really saying? It's a heap of junk. <laughs> a charming tiny. Snow White might, might fit, but not the dwarfs. <laughs> The doors will have to find their own little place. <laughs> this house has much potential. You know what that really means? It's pretty grim. Steer clear 
unless you have a lot of money and like the smell of mildew. <laughs> this house is a unique, a, a unique home, or a, a unique city home. This house is a unique city home. It used to be used as a warehouse. <laughs> this house is a daring design. It's still a warehouse. <laughs> this house is it's a contemporary. You ever watch uh, House Hunters? I don't know. It's a contemporary. Lots of steel shelving with little holes like your dad used to store tools on in the garage. <laughs> this house has been completely updated. Completely updated. It has an avocado, avocado dishwasher, harvest gold shack, carpeting and paneling in every room. <laughs> How many of you love that wood paneling from the 70s? This house is sophisticated. You know what that really means? Black walls and no windows. <laughs> This house is a one of a kind. One of it is none like it. That means it's ugly as sin. <laughs> this house was a brilliant concept. You know what that means? It has a two-story oak tree and a 30-foot sky. <laughs> right in the middle of the kitchen. You'll love it. When they say you'll love it, no, you won't. <laughs> and then you must see it to believe. This is an absolute accurate statement. You must see it. To believe it. <laughs> if you ever read any of those terms or read any of those terms, that's what that really means. All right, so you're welcome. All right, here we go. Number two, defrauding, this is another way to steal, defrauding employers. Defrauding employers. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 in the New Living Translation, it says, Work hard and cheerfully at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. According to the employee screening company, Guardsmark, employee theft costs North American employers about $120 billion each year. Each year. Roughly one-third of employees admit to having stolen from their companies. Two-thirds say they benefit by abusing sick leave falsifying time cards, cheating on an expense account, or taking other unethical actions. Over one-third of college students say they will steal from an employer if given the opportunity. They're not even employed yet. They said they will steal from an employer if given the opportunity when they are employed. And what about wasting time on the job? Mm. Heard some groans there. You should have heard it. It, it sounded like this. Uh, <laughs> what about wasting time on the job? <laughs> when an employer is paying you for your time and you come in late, leave early, take several coffee breaks and a long lunch, you're stealing from them. You're stealing from them. When you come in late, and I know those of you that are on salary, this is even more telling to you. Even more telling. When you come in late, or even if you're on a time, if you're punching on a time clock, I don't know, not all time clocks work the same. You got chronos and whatever else, you know, time clocks. But if you come in, and, or, or even if you fill out a time card, if you come in at 8.05, you're supposed to be there at 8 o'clock, and you put on your time sheet 8 o'clock. Maybe you did it the first time, and you're going to see if anybody knows. Oh, no. Okay, I'm good. So I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. You know, it just keeps getting easier and easier. And then all of a sudden, you're doing it every time. You're stealing from your company. You're stealing from your company. 
If you leave early, but you're saying you left, if you're supposed to leave, you know, work 8 to 5 or 8 to 4, and you leave at 3.55, but you put on your sheet that you're leaving at 4 o'clock, you're stealing from your company. Right? Am I, is this wrong? It is wrong, but am I, is what I'm saying. You, you got what I'm saying. Anyway, I'm not even going to try. That's stealing from your company. Or if you're there and, and, and you're, you're, you're not, you know, you're, you're not being productive. Right? That's stealing from your company. Your, your company's paying you to do your job, not to, not to uh, scroll on Facebook all day. or not Because obviously you're going to have some opportunities for downtime, but how are you going to take advantage of that downtime? That's the question. So here's, a, here's an illustration for you. The former treasurer of the Episcopal Church blamed, <coughs> excuse me, blamed job stress and gender bias in her misuse of $2.3 million of church funds between 1990 and 1995. Job stress and gender bias. Because I'm stressed on my job and I feel like they're, uh, they're biased as far as gender is concerned. I'm going to take 2.3, I'm going to misuse $2.3 million from, from the church. That's stealing. <laughs> Even if it was $2, right? This, the, the, the amount is regardless. The, the, the amount is irrelevant. Ellen F. Cook said that a psychiatrist who evaluated her attributed her behavior to enormous pressures and stress. The Harrisburg Patriot News reported on May 2nd, 1995, that the money was used for personal expenses, a house, a farm, school tuition, debt-free, <laughs> jewelry, and travel. It is offensive to us that sinful behavior is being passed off as a bad mood. Man, the world has, has motives. Sinful behavior is being passed off as a bad mood. It's not, it, they, 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 they sin or they did this wrong action because of this, trying to justify it. No. People, even those with mental conditions, generally know right from wrong. Most stressed out people take warm baths or cold showers. They don't spend $2.3 million. <laughs> they meditate or pray. They don't steal by misusing their access to other people's property. They use it as an excuse. Um, you know, more than ever, I feel like personally, I haven't looked at this or didn't look at any statistics, but more than ever, whenever people go to jail, get arrested for a crime, they try to chalk it up as a mental condition. They're, they're not mentally able to stand trial, right? More than, to me, it just seems like more than ever, people are trying to use that excuse in order to either get a lesser sentence or, or whatever the case may be. But they, most likely they have some kind of an idea of what they're doing. Um, the third way you can steal is delaying payments. Delaying payments. <clears throat> Leviticus 19.13, it says, do not cheat or rob anyone. Always pay your hired workers promptly. Promptly. If you have employees or suppliers or friends and you owe them some money, don't say the check is in the mail. Pay them now. Get rid of it. Pay them now. Or be honest about why you can't and when you will. Don't delay. Just pay. Uh, number four, defaulting on loans. Another way you can steal. Psalms 37, 21 says, The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Many people borrow things with no intention of paying them back. The worst loans are made to friends, relatives, and fellow church members. Don't ever give each other loans in here. 
It's not, that's not wise. It's not wise to do business with friends, with church members, because, man, if, if you can't pay that back, that's going to be a strained relationship. That's going to be a strained relationship. What is in your garage that you need to return to somebody? <laughs> what is in your garage that you need to return to somebody? That's not long-term borrowing. <laughs> That's not long-term borrowing. God's word says that it's stealing. It's stealing. The church is neither a loan agency nor a welfare society. To paraphrase John F. Kennedy, ask not what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. It's not what can, what can the church do for me, but what can I do to the church so I can benefit, so I can uh, do my part in the kingdom of God. Amen. Some of us, if we have that mindset, what can the church do for me? We need to flip the script. We need to change the mindset and then watch what God will do for you. Amen. Number five, and this is a good one because we're around uh, tax time. Deceiving the government. Deceiving the government. Romans 13, 6 through 7, it says, you must also pay your taxes. You must also pay your taxes. The authorities are God's servants, and it is their duty to take care of these matters. Pay all that you owe whether it is taxes and fees or respect or honor. Pay for it. Just pay for it. They're not being mean to you. That's just how it is. If you owe money, just pay it. It's a simple concept. Don't try to hold on or don't try to put it off or, you know, they'd be calling you and you just hang up. You, you got your spam blocker on, you know, or you just let, let it go to collections. No, just pay for it. Pay for it. Tax avoidance is good stewardship. There's no reason you should overpay on taxes or not try to maximize your deductions. But tax evasion is illegal. And God says that it is stealing. If you owe taxes, if you owe Uncle Sam however much money, just pay it. Just pay it. I mean, I don't, I mean I've never, or we've owed him money and we've paid it, but I'm not sure about all the nuance. I don't know how that works. But if you know you, if you, know you owe money, just pay it. Just get rid of it. Don't try to not pay it. Just pay it. I don't know how many times I can say that. Just pay it. <laughs> so cheating or lying to get government benefits is also theft. Cheating or lying to get government benefits. I know of a, of a, a lady who they, they, she gets paid um, disability. She's part of the military, but gets paid so much disability because she says these things are wrong with her. Um, and I, I believe they, they came to her house at one point, and she has a wheelchair. And she sat in the wheelchair when they came over to try to, to, try to make them think that she has a disability so she can get paid. That is stealing. That is stealing. Um, being poorer than others is not an excuse for stealing from others. That is not an excuse for, for, for stealing from others. Uh, number six, depending on chance, depending on chance. Isaiah 65, 11 through 12, it says this, what will happen to you for offering food and wine to the gods you call good luck and fate? Your luck will end. Your luck will end. North Americans now spend more money on games of choice than they do on food or clothing. Focus on the family reports that nearly 7 million North Americans are addicted to gambling which can lead to crime, bankruptcy, divorce, and even suicide. 
A Harvard University study says that 2 million teenagers in North America are struggling with gambling addiction per capita, twice the rate of adults. 25% of these gambling addicts will wind up divorced or separated. Their life haven't even started yet, and they're already addicted to gambling, giving their money away. And 22% of them will attempt suicide. Another study by the U.S. government found that domestic violence and child abuse skyrocket when gambling machines arrive in a community. When gambling machines arrive in a community, there's, there's so many people that spend so much money on this stuff. Lottery tickets, gas stations, they go to gas stations, buy lottery tickets every Monday. Trying to, and they're and they, you know, watching for the pick four or the big three or the, I don't know, tiny two, whatever it is. And they don't never win. They never win. Gaming, gambling, lotteries, slot machines, and other games of chance are precisely the kind of sleight of hand banned by the Eighth Commandment. There are an enormous number of losers just so there can be one winner. In the game of stealing, the score is always one to zero, especially when you talk about gambling. If you gamble and you have an addiction to gambling, tell somebody. That's why we're here. Tell somebody. Tell somebody in the church. I need help. I need, I need help. I have this addiction before it, before it really messes you up. Number seven, the, the seventh way we steal is deserting responsibilities. 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, it says, Even while we were with you, we gave you this rule. Whoever does not work should not eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work, and wasting time meddling in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we appeal to such people. No, we command them, settle down and get to work. Earn your own living. Take care of your responsibilities. Do what you have to do. Take care of the responsibilities that's been given to you. Not working when you're able to work is stealing. You are stealing from your family, from society, from the church, and from your own self. Your laziness and lack of initiative offends God. If you're able to work and you're not, that's stealing. Now, I'm not saying if you're retired, you've got to go back to work. <laughs> no, you've done your service. <laughs> that's right, Sister Duffy. <laughs> and Brother Duffy. <laughs> but if you're able to work, if you're... I knew a 33-year-old one time that tried to get on permanent disability because her back hurt. You know, and there's a lot of people that are like that, that try to take advantage of the system. And unfortunately, the system, anyway, if you're able to work, work. Number eight, defrauding the Lord. Defrauding the Lord. Matthew 3, 8 says, you people are robbing me, your God. And here you are asking, how are we robbing you? You are robbing me of the offerings and of the 10% that belongs to me. The first 10% of all I make, of all you make, goes back to God in gratitude. Because I really owe him, we really owe him 100%. We owe him everything that we have, everything that we own, we owe it to God. But he's only asking for the first 10%. He's only asking for the first 10%. Ask yourself this question. If I am paying my bills before I pay the Lord back out of gratitude for what he's done, is that robbing God? According to the Bible, yes, it's robbing God. Here's an illustration for you. One pastor was preaching through the Ten Commandments, and every week a man came up to him after service and said, you're really preaching the word in this series. It's great. That is, until the pastor preached, thou shalt not steal. 
that Sunday, the man came up to him after the service and said, now you've, now you've quite preaching, I'm sorry, now you've quit preaching and started meddling. <laughs> we love to hear preaching when it talks about other people's sins, but we don't like to hear how we are breaking the Ten Commandments. We don't like to hear how we are breaking the Ten Commandments. And let me tell you, the fastest way to, rob, get, to get robbed, to not get that blessing from God, is to not pay your tithes. Not pay your tithes. Even if it doesn't look like you can pay your tithes, even if it doesn't look like you're not going to be able to pay your bills or, or, or buy groceries or whatever, pay your tithes and watch God work in your life. Watch God work a miracle in your situation because you're, because you're being obedient to the word of God. Never hold on to it. So here's four reasons, and I know we're getting uh, short on time here. Here's four reasons why we should be honest. Number one, I am being washed by God. Just like I said earlier, we should be more concerned about what God is thinking of us rather than people. If I'm going to do something wrong, I'd rather you see it, Sister Mariana, than God, right? <laughs> That's right. Job 34, 21 through 22, it says, For God carefully watches the way people live. He sees everything they do. No darkness is thick enough to hide the wicked from his eyes. He sees everything that we do. He even sees our thoughts, right, before we even do it. He sees everything that we do, and we should keep that in mind. Before you do that thing, before you do that thing in the dark, you know, when nobody's seeing, remember, God is watching me. God sees me. God knows what I'm thinking about doing. And then if you're a parent, you're not only are you being watched by God, but your kids are watching you too. Values are caught. Not taught. Values are caught, not taught. What is my lifestyle communicating to my kids? Is there anything in my life I should be ashamed of or I would be ashamed of if they knew about it? <laughs> One of the greatest gifts you can give your children is integrity. Integrity. Number two, I will reap whatever I sow. I will reap whatever I sow. Galatians 6, verse, chapter 6, verse 7, it says, Don't be misled. Remember that you can't ignore God and get away with it. You will always reap what you sow. And tell yourself this, I will always reap what I sow. That is an unbreakable law. If you take advantage of other people, guess what? You're going to be taken advantage of. On the other hand, this will work for me if I use it the right way. If, I, if you maintain your integrity through all decisions... God will make sure that you're blessed. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. <clears throat> Number three, dishonesty damages my character. Dishonesty damages my character. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 2, wealth you get by dishonesty will do you no good. But honesty can save your life. If you get it through dishonest means, it's not going to do you any good. Every time you make a decision to steal, no matter how small or insignificant, you are choosing to side with the devil rather than God. He is a thief who comes to kill and destroy. When you have a reputation, you have respect. Proverbs 19.1, it says, it's better to be poor and honest than to be full and dishonest. And number four, God will reward my honesty. God will reward, re 
by honesty. Proverbs 28, 20. Honest people will lead a full, happy life, but if you are in a hurry to get rich, you are going to be punished. What was that we talked about earlier? Consistent, hard work, diligent work will get you where you want to go. Not no get rich schemes or playing the lottery, but doing things honest the right way. Matthew 25, 21, it says, The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let me tell you something. There's no way that you can cut corners and get to heaven. There's no way that you can cut corners and get to, get, get to heaven. You've got to do exactly what the book says. You have to live a consistent, spiritual, holy life each and every day. Each and every day. So let's do the same thing when we're handling matters. Here on, this, here on this earth. So here we go. Living a life of integrity. Number one. Everybody say number one. Make a living honestly. Make a living honestly. Starting today, begin to act as though God were your boss and you were working to please him. He's your boss. You don't want him to fire you. Fire, yeah. Number two. Give God my full tithes. 10%, not 5, not 6, not 8, not 2, not 9. Don't ever say to yourself, oh, just a little bit will be good enough. No, 10%. If you're not tithing, <clears throat> if you're not tithing, then you're paying your bills with money stolen from God. Just keep that in mind. If you're ever going to stop stealing, you need to do it today. If you're ever going to start tithing, you need to do it today. They usually say it's at the end, but the offering plates are in the back. <laughs> you have your ties on you. If you're feeling conviction, you, you just pay it. Just pay the money. Pay the, they even have the, the, the electronic device back there where you can swipe your card or put your card information in. Just do it. Just do it. Number three, make restitution when possible. Make restitution when possible. When we actually make restitution for our wrongs, it becomes not just a matter of belief, but a matter of behavior. Maybe you need to make a list, write an anonymous check, send a letter, return an item, whatever it is. Make it, witness, make it a witnessing opportunity. I am making restitution for whatever it is because I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I want to do what is right. Make restitution. So, the Eighth Commandment, stealing. If there's any, any of these that, that you're doing, hey, just get, get better, right? Identify it, write it down, talk to somebody, get some accountability, and say, hey, I need help. I need help in this area. I need help in that area, right? Just don't leave and try to deal with it on your own because most likely it's not going to get better, right? You need, you, need, you need help. And as far as living a life of integrity, make a living honestly. Pay your full tithes and make restitution when possible. If there's anything that you can do to, to, to say I'm sorry, do that. You know? I mean, you have to do self-evaluation in order to in order to know what 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 you need to do. Amen. So last thing I will say is maintain your integrity. By doing so, you maintain your earthly life and your eternal soul. Maintain your integrity. If everybody will stand. <clears throat> 